All right, we are back. Let's talk a little bit about science here in our third and final segment. Uh, as always, it seems we need to rely upon New Scientist magazine, which we think is the world's best science magazine. Cover story from the April 7th issue, How Many Things Can You Do at Once? Subtitled, Our Flawed Talent for Multitasking, was a pretty interesting article. Article by Allison Motluck starts out, On her morning drive to work, Debbie drinks her coffee, eats her breakfast, checks her email, and chats with her mom, often all at once. She hates wasting time. She's an example of an elite species of human, multitaskers. They can juggle more activities in five minutes than our ancestors did in a day, or so they like to think. This debate about multitasking has come to a head worldwide over the cell phone while driving issue. We talked on last year's program about research done by David Strainer at the University of Utah in Salt Lake City who reported that people using cell phones drive no better than drunks. In another study, Strainer found that using a hands-free kit did not improve a driver's response time. So the upshot of the article, we may not be as good at multitasking as we think we are. Rene Maroy, a, re- a psychologist at Vanderbilt University in, in Nashville, has, uh, has basically identified three bottlenecks in our multitasking process that kind of, uh, kind of negate the whole idea. The first one is that in simply identifying what we're looking at, it can take a few tenths of a second, during which time we're not able to see and recognize a second item. There was a dramatic study a few years back done on this where, where people were asked to concentrate on a basketball game, on the action, and during the videotape, a man dressed in a gorilla suit would walk in, look at the camera, and walk off the, off the scene. The participants who were asked to focus on some aspect of the game were then later asked if they noticed anything unusual, and no, apparently the man in the gorilla suit had failed to uh, register on their psyches. The second limitation in the human brain, our short-term visual memory. It's believed we can keep track of about four items at a time, fewer if they're complex. This is thought to explain our rather astonishing inability to detect even huge changes in scenes that are otherwise identical, so-called change blindness. And the third limitation, choosing a response to a stimulus also takes brain power. This uh, seems to indicate that uh, the California law that's going to make us all have headsets uh, next year is going to help, but even it's not going to be enough. Apparently just talking on a phone while driving uh, makes it the equivalent of drunk driving. Not a happy thought. The same issue of New Scientist also includes one of the, uh, one of the all-time great Hubble telescope photographs, which shows the light Echo, an ever-expanding ring of light around a, uh, a nearby star, which apparently resulted from, as best scientists can determine, the star cannibalizing three planets that had been orbiting around it. A normal nova occurs when uh, a star accumulates a bunch of material by robbing it off another star orbiting around it, which it then blows off rather spectacularly and then begins reaccumulating material to blow it off again, but the process takes thousands of years. A supernova explosion is, uh, well, generally a one-way trip where the star is blown to smithereens, but uh, scientists noted in 2002 uh, something unusual with a star called V838mon. The star got brighter, dimmed, got brighter a couple months later, dimmed, got brighter a third time before dimming. This is not supposed to happen. 
After flaring up a third time, this star basically kind of went out of the visual range of uh, electromagnetic radiation and started radiating in the infrared. In fact, V838 Mon became so bright in the infrared that if your eyes were able to see in that wavelength, it would have been visible even in the daytime. Anyway, I recommend this article to you very highly, if nothing else, uh, than for the Hubble photographs showing this ever-expanding ring of light as the explosion sent illumination out into the debris around this star and progressively illuminated it with an expanding ring moving out at the speed of light. I'm not sure I explained that well enough, but anyway, take a look at the picture. (laughs) Scientific explanation aside, it's a stunning piece of artwork. And speaking of space art, which is what NASA's calling it, uh, you need to go on the web and check out this photo taken by the space probe heading out to Pluto, the New Horizons spacecraft. It, it swept past Jupiter last February 28th and took this photograph over Jupiter's cloud tops showing the icy moon Europa rising, uh, rising on Jupiter. NASA, always, uh, always uh, conscious of public relations, said the image was taken, quote, primarily for artistic rather than scientific value. Scientists had earlier issued a public appeal via the Internet for ideas that would produce evocative artistic pictures during the Jupiter flyby. And if you'll check it out, you'll see that uh, they succeeded. And uh, this story about the, uh, the cat food and the pet food that was contaminated, uh, big recall here, a lot of uh, dead pets along the way, this is becoming a very strange story. On March 23rd, the New York State Department of Agriculture and Markets announced they'd found rat poison in contaminated wheat gluten imported from China. But apparently other toxicologists uh, were not convinced that rat poison contamination was the end of the story. A week later, the FDA reported finding a widely used compound called melamine, described as a chemical used in the manufacture of plastics. It's apparently a a byproduct of of the Chinese petrochemical industry. So the question is, did people in China add this to the wheat gluten, add this as a food supplement? Stories have surfaced in the last couple days indicating uh, that they did exactly that, using this as a protein substitute. A lot of questions are being raised. Wheat gluten uh, is wheat gluten. It should be something that, uh, you know, is, is fit for human consumption. So what was wrong with this gluten that it was imported from China for use only in pet food? On April 7th, the FDA's veterinarian Steve Sundloff told CNN that the melamine found in the contaminated wheat gluten from China could actually have been added as a cheap filler. Melamine crystal is a urea-derived synthetic nitrogen product that's been used as a fertilizer. I, I don't understand this story. What works as a fertilizer is not necessarily a good choice as a food additive. For example, urea or urine makes pretty good fertilizer, not such a good substance to add to food. Well, being that we are part of the University of California, Davis, and that our veterinary school uh, here is um, among the world's finest, I hope that someone will send us an email at info at radioparallax.com and let us know, uh, you know what the latest is on this uh, ever-growing scandal. Dr. Sunloff has also been reported as saying that, uh, that melamine is not very toxic as a chemical, and since it was found in some 873 tons of wheat gluten imported from China, the dilution in the vast volumes of pet foods being recalled must be considerable. 
So perhaps the melamine is a smoking gun, uh, not the primary cause of all these animals getting sick or even dying. Anyway, heck of a story. We need to find out more about it. All right, we have about four minutes left, so let's do four obituaries. We note first the passing of Boris Yeltsin, president of Russia from 1991 to 1999. He was the first democratically elected leader in the country's 1,000-year history. He was also the first to freely relinquish power. By helping to dismantle the totalitarian Soviet Union, Yeltsin changed history and earned worldwide admiration. And although it is Mikhail Gorbachev that gets most of the credit for reforming the Soviet Union, Gorbachev always tried to work within the system. Yeltsin was the guy that gave up on the sluggish Soviet bureaucracy and decided to abandon the Communist Party completely, which he did at its Congress in July of 1990. Yeltsin was determined to break the hold of the Communist Party of the Soviet Union over the Russian people, and he succeeded, earning him a place in the history books. We also note uh, with sadness the passing of the legendary journalist David Halberstam. Halberstam earned a reputation for persistence in reporting back during the Vietnam era. In late 1963, the 29-year-old Saigon correspondent for the New York Times had already earned presidential censure. John F. Kennedy himself has recently suggested to the Times publisher, Harry Luce, that Halberstam be removed from the war beat. The military brass was warning uh, the reporter that he should not pester them for his travel requests, but Halberstam replied that the American public has a right to know what's going on when the U.S. sends its soldiers into combat. This correspondent can highly recommend Halberstam's The Best and the Brightest, his 1972 work chronicling how the nation got into the Vietnam quagmire, as well as 1979's The Powers That Be. David Halberstam, a great reporter, he will be missed. We also note the passing in the last week of Jack Valenti. Jack Valenti was Hollywood's top lobbyist in Washington, D.C. He knew his way around the corridors of power. In the 1960s, Jack Valenti was Lyndon Johnson's aide. He was Vice President Lyndon Johnson's aide on November 22, 1963, and remained with LBJ after his ascendancy to the presidency. Jack Valenti gave us the movie rating system that uh, still survives today with uh, G, PG, PG-13, and R designations. When uh, Governor Schwarzenegger got inaugurated a few years back, I rode a bicycle down to see the proceedings and, uh, and saw Mr. Jack Valenti walking along toward to, uh, to attend the um, reception that took place after the swearing-in ceremony. There was a couple-second interval where I probably could have asked Jack Valenti a question or two if I'd thought of a good one, but I didn't. And I'm sorry to report that, but uh, said movie producer Steven Spielberg, in a sometimes unreasonable business, Jack Valenti was a giant voice of reason. He was the greatest ambassador Hollywood has ever known, and I will value his wisdom and friendship for all time. With less than a minute to go, I would have to note the passing of one of pop music's most enduring one-hit wonders, Bobby Boris Pickett, passed away last week. Bobby Boris Pickett's dead-on Boris Karloff impression took the Monster Mash to number one when it debuted in 1961. He did it again in August of 1970 and a third time in May of 1973, a record which I believe still stands. And although I really shouldn't admit this, <laughs> this correspondent didn't realize till about 10 years ago that the record did not actually contain the voice of Boris Karloff. 
We are out of time. This program was produced by Edward McMillan. You've been listening to Radio Parallax. I'm Douglas Everett, and we'll see you next week at the same time. Our thanks to our guest today, Dr. Bill Durston. We hope to have him on again. Now stay tuned for KDVS's musical programming, which is bedded today with, appropriately, of course, the Monster Mash. He did the Monster Mash From my laboratory in the castle east To the master bedroom where the vampires feast The ghouls all came from their humble abodes To get a jolt from my electrodes They did the Monster Mash it was a graveyard smash. It caught on in a flash. They did the monster mash. The zombies were having fun. The party had just begun. The guests included Wolfman, Dracula, and his son. The scene was rocking, all were digging the sound. He got on chains back by his baby. Kick a fly. They played the monster mash. It was a graveyard smash. We had caught on in a flash.